You talking to me? Well, yes, you and everyone else that's listening, Robert. Do you have any idea how fucking busy I am? No, but do you know how busy we are producing six high-quality podcasts? I got a boner. Uh, okay. All Things Film, six of the best high-quality free podcasts on the internet. No, they are, really. Film Freaks, daily grindhouse podcast. It was only a pound. Mass Movie Side UK, the podcast on fire network, and of course, Film Exploitation, the All Things Film podcast. All available to download free from allthingsfilm.co.uk and from iTunes. Really, you should get that cough scene to it. It could be something serious. We're tonight's entertainment. No joker, we're tonight's entertainment. And every night on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, and available from www.allthingsfilm.co.uk. What's the website address again, Chewbacca? <laughs> so sit back, subscribe, and enjoy. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Listen to me. Trader, I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed him. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast, free on Kickboxer King and Kickboxer the Champion. And in all simplicity, to touch upon some uh, material that we have gone over before, IFT were a company trying to catch in on trends, and the Ninja one couldn't last forever and didn't last forever. So when we reach uh, end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, kickboxing movies became a global phenomenon. And I, I always simplified saying it's was probably due to blood sports kickboxer and Jean-Claude Van Damme's breakthrough in general, but I think that that's uh, that's probably quite fair. Uh, so they kept their technique, though, I have the of buying a bunch of old Asian movies to re-edit and insert their own Western cast into and thus creating new movies. But no Richard Harrison as a kickboxer. No, he, he'd had enough by that point. And even Godfrey Ho wasn't part of the company anymore. But IFD trucked forward, Joseph Lai and his uh, team of directors, and they sourced a movie with mad daredevil Thai stuntman that eventually got their global break. And uh, that is the source movie that makes up Kickboxer King, and IFT also wisely used a property of their own for Kickboxer the Champion, and therefore will bring in the Magnificent, starring Carter Wong, and that period martial arts movie, okay, it's set in 1911, became a kickboxing movie at IFT, and it's a wise decision financially, uh, but we'll talk of how it all pans out, and uh, my name is uh, Kennedy, and with me again is Ed Glaser, the owner and president of Neon Harbor, director of Ninja the Mission Force, and press start, and uh, we'll talk of press start in a little bit, but uh, welcome back, buddy, say hi. Hello, hello, it is always a pleasure to be here and talk IFD. Indeed, I mean, uh, we, we can dislike movies heavily, but it's still, the love for IFD remains, you know what I mean? Ninja Commandments, we didn't see eye to eye on, but that doesn't mean 
the uh, name in our minds, in our hearts, gets uh, solid or anything, you know. Absolutely. I mean, in an overall sense, it's a loving, it's a loving feeling, thing and a loving fandom. And I'm surprised, though, Ed. I mean, again, this podcast network isn't one that attracts a big audience and a lot of feedback. But when we first released our our, our episode one, there was unexpected amounts of uh, feedback in my eyes. I think there are a lot more fans than we think of this kind of uh, specialized cinema, if you will. <laughs> Well, that's excellent. Well, and since then, I've seen um, at least a couple of different articles on IFD, and unfortunately, uh, they have uh, been full of misinformation about uh, what Godfrey Ho directed and who produced these movies and what the reason was behind them and things like that. So uh, there's definitely a lot of interest, but there's still a lot of misinformation out there, which is a real pity. You know, in this in this era of social media, if we were any bigger, we would be able to get a uh, hashtag trend trend thing going on on Twitter, and that would be hashtag not Godfrey Ho. <laughs> but uh, seeing like as it. we're small, you know, it's uh, we, we we maybe in ten twenty years we'll get uh, we'll get that hashtag out there. But uh, no, it, it's as simple as that hashtag not Godfrey Ho. Uh, and it's the same in the case of this episode, these two movies. It's not Godfrey Ho. Alton Chung is not Godfrey Ho, but uh, we'll, we'll talk of uh, kind of uh, this era and what, uh, what players kind of were present after Godfrey Ho left, and we, if you will, but uh, in the meantime, some short contact information. This is the Golden Ninja podcast on the Podcast on Fire network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. Find this show, all the other shows, and the bonus episodes on there. If you have any feedback, questions, someone have you, email us at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We are also happy to take some feedback and questions over at Facebook. We have our page that you can uh, like, uh, facebook.com forward slash PUF network. But if you follow the link on that page in the about section, you'll get to uh, request to be added to our group if you want to discuss with us our various uh, uh, movies and updates and uh, whatever topics uh, come to mind, join the discussion group and uh, available via that link. But also if you type in Podcast on Fire Network, uh, you will reach us that way and tweet us and follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. So good reviews.com and slazykvideo.com, my writing and video reviewing. A lot of focus on uh, IFT movies in uh, general, ninjas or not. A lot of film mark too. But also various reviews of uh, category free movies out of Hong Kong, whether, whether they are erotica or true crime or exploitation. And um, so check that out. And uh, I am also on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. We are on iTunes, the Golden Ninja Podcast, that is. And uh, if you want to subscribe uh, to us, you can do that through iTunes. And whilst you're on iTunes, please leave a rating. And uh, even if you have uh, a sentence or two about the show that you want to share, please do. That makes up, uh, that becomes fitting as a review for, for iTunes purposes. So we will very much be appreciative and uh, would love to hear from you uh, but if you don't like downloading a podcast to your device there's an excellent way to stream them on Stitcher Radio that you can do that through their website but the smoothest way is to download the application for your iPhone iPad or Android and uh, I'd imagine they're available on some other uh, Apple devices that uh, have uh, applications as well and uh, once you're in Stitcher type in the Golden Ninja podcast and you should be able to find us and add us to your favorites and what have you um, Ed, do you have some plugs? And uh, we're going to discuss a specific uh, project of yours in a little while as well. But uh, plug away first. 
Absolutely. You can find um, my films, uh, web series, including Ninja the Mission Force, and other nonsense at my website, neonharbor.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash neonharbor, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor. Indeed, and uh, we've mentioned in, in passing that you're also the uh, director of Press Start, and uh, at the time of recording, and this won't be released in six months or anything, so it will be current when it is released, uh, Press Start, that's been around for a while, has uh, uh, come to life again, if you will. So, uh, if you will, what is Press Start, and uh, what is its uh, current status, if you will? Sure. Uh, Press Start is a comedy movie for video game fans. It's all about uh, life in the world of video games. And we did this. It was a film that I made about seven years ago, long before uh, Wreck-It Ralph or anything like that existed. And it was kind of our idea to do video game the movie. And so it was about this uh, ordinary kid who wakes up and discovers that everything around him suddenly works like a video game. Uh, physics, um, costumes hair, things like that. And uh, then he's recruited by a ninja and a space heroine to save the world from this uh, childish evil sorcerer. And it uh, was, as I said, done about seven years ago. I didn't really know what I was doing when I was doing the uh, color final color grading on the film. I was very new to that. And so um, a lot of the film ended up kind of dark and a little contrast, more contrasty than I intended. And, uh, you know, I really wasn't thrilled with some of the lighting that I had done because it ended up being kind of uh, color washes when I really should have done some separation and things that I learned uh, much later on. And mm-hmm. so uh, what I wanted to do was go back and uh, remaster the film, clean it up, go back to some of the original uh, raw video and do a whole new pass at color grading, um, essentially relighting the film, um, bringing out skin tones and, and color contrast and all sorts of things like that to make it look brand new. And at the time, uh, the compression that had to be done to fit it on the DVD ended up being so kind of ugly. There were a lot of uh, compression artifacts and there were these sort of strange uh Hor- uh, vertical lines striping through some of the film and it was just ugly so that's all gone now and uh, we've done a whole brand new uh, remastered DVD that's available on my site neonharbor.com but um, the better thing is that we have also released the film completely free uh, to watch online at neonharbor.com so if you want to just check it out you can see it at the website and uh, if you are if you really like it then please uh, pick up the DVD it's also got deleted scenes that have never been seen before um, there's uh, three commentaries on the disc including an all new retrospective commentary by uh, myself writer Kevin Folliard and uh, production designer Megan Rochelle and there's a lot of other goodies on there as well so it's definitely worth checking out if you like video games Excellent, very cool. How does Press Start Adventures fit into all this? Because there, there, there's an animated version of, the, of Press Start in, in, in a way, right? I don't know this, so I'm actually asking because I'm curious. Absolutely. Uh, well, when um, when the first film was in production, we started an animated web series uh, that was at the time called Press Start Bonus Levels, but later became called Press Start Adventures. And it was all to kind of introduce audiences to the world of the film, to the characters of the film, and allow us to do... Uh, things that we can't we could not do on a budget of you know about 
twelve and a half bucks uh, that we had for the actual live action movie. So um, we did that leading up to the events of the film, and it was popular enough that uh, we decided to continue it for two more seasons uh, after the movie uh, came out. And so there's uh, three seasons of that cartoon that's uh, available online, uh, also ianharbor.com or pressstartadventures.com also works. And uh, they're all on uh, DVD as well. And uh, seasons two and three lead up to the events of the second live-action film, Press Start, to continue. You know what? Because IFT doesn't attempt to make um, sense in the way they uh, cobble together material from different eras and what have you. You know, why, why not take uh, Ninja of a Mission Force into Press Start Adventure territory? Like, make it a cartoon crossover. How about that? Have you thought of that before? <laughs> well, you know, uh, not entirely as a crossover, but uh, there is an episode of Ninja of the Mission Force in Season 2 where we do uh, an animated episode. And uh, there is a very, very uh, blink-if-you-miss-it cameo by one of the characters from Press Start Adventures there uh, in there. Okay, guys, uh, let's uh, jump into it. Uh, let's uh, talk, uh, and it's impossible for me uh, to not pronounce uh, IFT's titles like the trailer man uh, pronounces the titles. And, and I, I won't do that throughout the episode, but as soon as I see the word Kickboxer King, all I can think of to say is Kickboxer King! You know, that uh, really frantic, rapid, like trailer man voice for uh, even this trailer. I'll tell you. IFD might have changed a lot and maybe lessened in quality as the kickboxing era came around, but the trailers were still kick-ass. They got some nonsense in there, like you wouldn't believe it. So uh, uh, look up the Kickboxer King trailer, and uh, it's uh, two minutes of uh, joy. And plot from my review of the film, and it's a Thai movie. It's based on, as we said in the intro, so connecting itself to the original Thai movie that we'll talk of briefly in the background in the most Fred Bear way ever. Uh, it's all about the two combined movies about cocky boxer Joe played by Kenneth Goodman and that is his real name by the way because he's been in other Hong Kong movies as Ken Goodman or Kenneth Goodman uh, he wants to further his career for underground promoter Costner and uh, they set up a match versus Johnny our hero played by Bruce Fontaine who's lost his way through enhancement drugs and uh, he expectedly gets defeated outside of the arena in the first fight in the middle of the movie but trains his little heart out while gearing up for the finale in the ring Costner has gangster connections and that's how the Panna Ritty Cry directed Thai movie enters this movie and uh, he and company walks alongside IFD's events uh, as we get Thai gangster turf war corrupt police officers and stuntmen hurting themselves for our enjoyment now it's it's interesting that you that you talk about connecting uh, the films in the most threadbare way possible because I remember before I had seen any of the kickboxing movies I thought okay so how how are they going to connect kickboxing to you know another another movie I I sort of kind of got how they would do it with ninjas but I'm like I don't quite get it for kickboxers and then I w- realized wait a minute no they're going to do exactly the same thing 
there's going to be a kickboxer story, and one of them is going to be involved in drugs, drug smuggling or something, and that's what's going to connect into the the other film. And, of course, I was absolutely right because these guys are completely predictable. Two for two in the case of these, these movies. Uh, the other ones is about opium trade or smuggling. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, the, it's a go-to plot to connect uh, things, uh, you know, and uh, you can't stay or rather stop and think to – long about this because IFT was still a production line like you know churn them out churn them out churn them out wait a minute no, churn them out no time for questions <laughs> just slap it together and get it out there uh, but anyway d- just a little backstory because I have talked about Kickboxer King on other shows um, because I'm a fan of IFT and uh, I- I've gone on record saying that I initially thought IFT bought and re-edited Panariticrise Karadma Loy from 1984 aka Born to Fight that was the source movie for Kickboxer King, I thought. But after watching it and researching it, I now know more for sure that it isn't. And instead, evidence points towards that it's, uh, in fact, IFD adding a kickboxing plot to another Panarita crime movie with the Thai title, uh, Tu Nok So Po Ying Gai B from 1986. Uh, it hasn't got an official English title, uh, at least never did at the time of their release. And they uh, it's now known as Thai Police Story because it was released as a bonus movie on the US-released BCI DVD of Dimension Born to Fight. So, And even on that DVD or in other places, Thai Police Story barely runs an hour in one edit because they filled it with added comedy to make it feature edit, but one edit is essentially just the, the action elements, which... Uh, it's not that common, to be honest. And maybe in Thailand it is common, but uh, I was quite surprised that uh, they uh, reduced it to the very basics, the very attractive basics, i.e. the action, because I'd imagine the comedy would be very, very annoying. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, going to find out for sure, because I just know in, in my heart that uh, it's not worth it, you know. Hong Kong cinema is like that a lot of the time, and it is unbearable a lot of the, a lot of the time. But I have a great love for Hong Kong cinema, and I'm, I mean, I've been desensitized by this point, and I, I can take these Jackie Chan kung fu comedies having sections of really, really annoying comedy from uh, side cast and such. So, um, you know, you you, you watched a, a little bit of Hong Kong cinema, I suppose. And, uh, has that always or ever been an element that? just annoy the crap out of you that uh, that insistence on a lot of great loud comedy yes well it, it's uh it's international and universal um this idea of uh adding comic relief uh subplots and things to films that really don't need them and it's always terrible so uh yes absolutely in hong kong cinema but uh also other international uh, cinema, including uh, Bollywood, uh, Turkey, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we do a whole lot of it in America as well, but I'm just kind of probably desensitized to it here. Is that why the movies are so long in Bollywood? They feel like we're comedy? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, know <they're> long. <laughs> I know they're long regardless, but uh, man, if uh, maybe if 20 minutes minus or a three-hour movie it would make it better, then for heaven's sake, <laughs> you know, just make it. Yeah, I mean, in Bollywood, any movie where you can remove Johnny Lover from it, uh, then, yes, you're saving yourself at least 20 minutes of, of awful comedy. Right on. Uh, do they have uh, the comedian sing as well? So it's a filler, additional filler that way? Yeah, not. I mean, not usually specifically, um, but if they're a main character, then yes, of course, they'll probably be involved in the uh, musical numbers. 
right on. Uh, and again, IFD was, to me, clearly capitalizing on uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme breakthrough in the, the likes of Bloodsport and Kickboxer. And uh, therefore, they started, you know, they did abandon Ninjas by this point. You know, it, it was never, as far as I remember, a production line consisting of Kickboxers and Ninjas. It was Ninjas were off the table, Kickboxers were on the table now. And uh, some also some modern action adventure films too, like the American Commando series. You had uh, even a monster movie, Thunder of Gigantic uh, Serpent. So, you know, they they tried out a little bit, uh, a few different things, but kickboxing was clearly Joseph Life thinking, here's where the money is at. And right, if, if I if I recall correctly, um, in an interview with Joseph Life, he talked about how those movies were very popular, and so what they decided to do is they just they just built a boxing ring in their studio and made a bunch of kickboxer movies. It looks like it. So 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 that that would make sense in your opinion as well that it was really like Jean Claude Van Damme and these kickboxing movies that uh, prompted the light to go into this kind of genre or content, if you will. Oh yes, and uh, you know there's a, a funny story about. Um, uh, a young man who came to IFD looking uh, for work as an actor uh, to do action movies. And uh, it was a dude by the name of Jean-Claude Van Varenberg. Uh, and Joseph Lai was like, no, we're good. Thanks. You know, we, we got our, we got our kick-ass uh, cast. You know, we are Wayne Archer and uh, these uh, kind of guys, um, Steve Brettingham and Bruce Fontaine. So see you guys. Yep. And he, and he went off and uh, got famous as Jean-Claude Van Damme and made Kickboxer and Bloodsport. And uh, IFD was like, oh, uh, we need to make films like that uh, in some sort of strange twist of irony. Indeed. Um, so uh, we, we got the likes of these two movies, obviously Kickboxer King and Kickboxer the Champion. You also have um, uh, a very, actually really fun and dumb uh, Kickboxer horror combo called Kickboxer from Hell, which uh, literally is... Uh, as you know, listeners, my favorite uh, movies from IFD are the ones that are so uh, where their footage is so far removed from the other footage in terms of genre. And indeed, Kickboxer from Hell features an old Hong Kong horror movie from the mid seventies uh, with uh, Mark Houghton starring um, a very profane, profane, uh, profane character uh, in that uh, kickboxing uh, uh, main plot that has to deal with him taking out Satan, though. So, yeah. <laughs> that's it, amazing it, it, it's it's kind of good I mean it's probably my favorite out of this bunch that I've seen because um, as I will talk of this kickboxing era is not particularly strong compared to the ninja stuff I'll, I'll go on record and saying that but kickboxer from hell is um, kind of wonderful so uh, but uh, let's uh, move on a little bit to uh, talk of um, the original Thai movies director and uh, lead actor and a uh, part of the uh, stunt team and maybe the main choreographer, uh, Pana Ritikrai. And uh, this is, of course, a famous action, cho- action choreographer, film director, screenwriter. He was a mentor to Tony Jaa and uh, an, an actor in a known worldwide for his martial arts choreography on 2003's Ong Bak, uh, 2005's uh, Tom Yum Gung and even Chocolate in 2008. But his career tracks back to the late 70s, 1979, uh, and he worked initially for uh, as a physical trainer, rather, for actors in Bangkok. And uh, uh, at that time, as the 80s went by, he got inspired watching action and stunts in Jack Chan's movies, even in Bruce Lee's movies. And um, research even indicates that he was a great fan of James Bond productions. And uh, and 
when he moved back to his home province of uh, Konkan, sorry for, for the mispronunciation probably, uh, he formed his own stunt team when he moved back, and uh, that was the uh, Muay Thai stunt team. And they started making films on their own, these really, really low-budget films on their own. So he, uh, I don't know if this was the first, but anyway, uh, to reference it again, he directed and starred in 1984's uh, Born to Fight, uh, which was actually remade in 2004 starring Dan Shu Pong and I think Panna Ivy directed that or worked on action on that but it's a pretty pretty massive uh, massive production compared to the original but still Daredevil like uh, stuff in Born to Fight uh, many of these movies uh, like Born to Fight and what have you they are available uh, on uh, on disc but only mostly on cheap VCDs in Thailand and so- select titles have been picked up in the West after Panas Breakthrough and certainly Tony Jaa's Breakthrough in uh, Ong Bak. And uh, we have uh, U.S. disc releases such as Spirited Killer. So uh, you can check that out. I think that's a very early Tony Jaa appearance. So it's uh, more closer to uh, the beginning of the 90s and uh, his uh, mentoring starting, if you will. Uh, cover credit for Panna includes uh, choreography duties on The Legend of Sir- Suryutai. Pardon me again. Uh, on back to uh, Mercury Man. This girl is badass. And the upcoming uh, Tony Ja Dolph Lundgren movie, A Man Will Rise, which uh, is apparently one of two movies. That team is two together. The, uh, the other one is Skin Trade, and uh, that, that that could be a really cool be a cool little crossover. And uh, one of his latest directorial efforts uh, is uh, the 2010 action at Bangkok Knockout. And that was the end of my bio up until a few days ago, because the unfortunate sad end to this bio is the fact that Panna Ritikrai uh, a few days ago passed away uh, after, after liver disease and acute renal failure. And he was diagnosed with this in late 2013, it's 2014 now, and uh, was recently hospitalized after his condition got worse and doctors even found a brain tumor. So uh, he unfortunately passed away. Uh, it was a, a little over 50 years old, so um, uh, not a not a... Long, so too young, too young, but obviously uh, he also has immortalized uh, his work on screen, which is always a little bit of comfort. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my little, little take on uh, my relationship with Thai action, but I'll, I'll just ask you spontaneously. Is this, uh, uh, have, have you watched uh, this, uh, some out of this uh, Thai action explosion? Ed? Did that ever appeal to you? Uh, very little. Um, it's not so much that it didn't appeal to me. It just it kind of wasn't in my. Uh, it's never really been in my wheelhouse. And so you're you're definitely the subject matter expert here, and I'm kind of along for the ride. But um, I did I did see a film, and I couldn't tell you the title of it. It was one of uh, Tony Jaa's early films where he was not a main character, but uh, they plastered his name over the budget DVD uh, cover. And, uh, it might have been uh, Spirited Killer because that cover by BCI in the US did use uh, still up the Tony Johnny isn't uh, as you said a, a main character in the movie. That might that might be the one. It had the most preposterous uh, English language dub that I've ever heard in my life. Um, it like clearly done for laughs or at least to amuse uh, the people recording it because you just you can't believe it until you hear it. Is it like goofier than IFDs? Oh yeah yeah like way goofier. That's kind of disrespectful because, yeah, these movies are generic action movies, but uh, you can still churn out like a basic dub and not uh, uh, be be condescending to it. And it's completely at odds uh, with the really spectacular martial arts stunt action in the film where you're uh, scratching your head wondering how they could do that and still be alive. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and indeed, I mean, I, I haven't ex- a lot of exposure either to Thai action. Um, I mean, I've gone on record on saying that I wasn't a huge fan of Ong Bak, but um, I obviously respect uh, these Daredevil stuntmen, you know, from that era in the 80s and certainly uh, uh, in the new millennium. And uh, it, it never gelled with me. I, I mean, it's a, it's I've never looked down on it. It just didn't feel like it was for me. I'm an action fan, but I've realized the older I get, I'm an action fan of specific eras rather than the recent era, the, despite um, acclaimed action movies coming out of uh, Hong Kong and uh, other places uh, in Asia. But but you you got to acknowledge what a great role uh, Panna had in busting the doors open for the likes of Tony Jaa, who's a global star now, and... Uh, uh, even when he kind of fell off the map and kind of went off the rails when making Ong back two and three, he's now back. I mean, he's starring in two movies with Dolph Lundgren and he's in SBL2, the Hong Kong action movie. So he's going to team up with uh, some Hong Kong action stars. So, 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 so he's back and certainly carrying on the legacy, I'm sure. You, you got to be a little bit inspired by Panna because he took this Hong Kong cinema fandom clearly that he had of Jackie Chan, of Bruce Lee, and even Sammo Hung. Because if you know anything about Sammo Hung, he was the guy who brought power to to Hong Kong action cinema, pain to action cinema, rather than Jackie's very ballet-like action, which was great in its own right. But Sammo brought the pain and power, and clearly I, I can see some, some of that influence um, being on display here. And what I admire most is and I admire anyone who can do this, no, because not everyone can take their fandom and translate that into their own creativity. But Panna clearly did, based on the footage in Kickboxer King alone. And uh, that's what I remember Panna for, for being, um, being able to sort of create his own voice and bring that to the screen in this uh, way where you can clearly see the inspiration, but he's also clearly doing his own thing and um, and uh, taking uh, the pain for 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 us and our celluloid enjoyment. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll definitely remember him for that. Uh, you can joke and say like uh, Daredevil stuntmen like this, they're not right in the head, but but of course that that's being judgmental as well. And clearly, you know, Panna probably saw, and his team probably suffered some injuries along the way, but uh, still they 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 kept at it, you know, and uh, and certainly new generation was. Uh, Fostered and mentored uh, uh, likes of Tony Jaa and even Dan Chupong, who at least for one movie was the main star. I don't know if of his career uh, trajectory now, but uh, uh, it, it, it's a sad loss. And uh, the, the, those pictures you saw of him in the hospital, I mean, yes, smiling with his friends who were probably saying goodbye, but that it, it's hard to see those pictures where someone is kind of fading away. You know, he looked like a 80% lesser version of himself. You know, he, he looked small and frail. So, so it was kind of sad to see. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's a uh, panel for you and uh, we'll talk more of his work in a little bit. But one thing before the review, which is important to note, and I touched upon this earlier, is that these two movies are credited to Alton Chung, and uh, they had no involvement from Godfrey Ho. Uh, I asked my friend on Facebook, uh, uh, Jesus Perez Molina, who runs the Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles blog, blog, which I forgot to plug earlier, but there you go. Uh, His estimation is that Godfrey Ho left IFD around 1988, early 1989, and by that point, IFD relied on a directing team such as Philip Coffey. He was present before at IFD, but now he was taking directing reins a little bit more. You had directors like Charles Lee Choi, which is um, uh, a director you can look up. Uh, his, his Chinese name is Lee Choi, and uh, Raymond Wu. And uh, these were all directors for hire, essentially, including Alton Chung. So they, they were probably, you know, Chung something, Wu something, and IFD gave them uh, an, an English name. Godfrey 
was, of course, uh, he went on. You know, he didn't stop making movies. He went on to direct a handful of rather cool Girls with Guns movies uh, in the, after IFT, you know, Angel Enforcers, Princess Madam, Lethal Panther, and even uh, making a two Men Behind the Sun rip-offs, uh, Laboratory of the Devil and A Narrow Escape. Uh, but also, he shot some English-language movies, uh, including the wonderful Cynthia Rothrock movie Unbeatable, that features uh, some great uh, hokey action, a great serial killer plot, and uh, a very YouTubed uh, cl- uh, end fight featuring uh, actors uh, Don Neum and uh, John Ritz Miller. Uh, bare-chested, very oiled up, and uh, going at each other in uh, quite an uh, uh, outstanding fight with an outstanding uh, and brutal ending as well. So uh, Unbeatable is probably one of the most... Uh, um, quotable Godfrey Home movies where we get one of his uh, uh, like his third alias you know he was always Godfrey Home, Benny Ho or in the case of Unbeatable Godfrey Hall H-A-L-L yes and uh, along the same uh, at the same time that he made Undefeatable he made another film called Honor and Glory I hated that um, movie that was boring I mean it, it was, it the, was same, boring. You know, it's the same team but it, it didn't gel at all actually now, now, here's what's inter- interesting about those films, and this is, of course, a complete tangent, which you can feel free to edit out. But um, uh, we say that uh, Ho came to America and made some English-language films. Uh, he didn't quite get away from his old cut-and-paste days because uh, at the same time he was shooting both of those films, um, you'll notice – in them, there are a number of uh, Chinese supporting characters, mm-hmm. and what he did at the same time was shoot a bunch of extra scenes that primarily featured those Chinese supporting characters, uh, sometimes even adding in uh, other characters like uh, uh, Robin Shu, mm-hmm. um, so other actors, uh, and uh, and then would re-edit those films uh, to more prominently feature the Asian actors and then sell them in China as different films uh, for the Chinese market. So it's sort of Godfrey Ho in reverse. Exactly. I mean, that's a more fair treatment of a movie, like to fit it for a different market, you know what I mean? And, and you know, what's, what's funny about Unbeatable, which became Bloody Mary Killer, on uh, in the Hong Kong edit, mm-hmm. uh, that features Godfrey Ho in, in a supporting role. He plays the uh, father of uh, Robin Shu's character, uncle of yes. Robin Shu's character. That's right. You know, for some for some reason, I was thinking that that happened in uh, the uh, Chinese version of Honor and Glory. But no, you're right. It was the it was uh, Bloody Mary Killer. And there is indeed uh, a Chinese version of uh, Honor and Glory. I think it's probably uh, Angel something, Angel the Enforcer, Angel Enforcer. So which is it's uh, what is it? Angel the Kickboxer? I don't know. Something like it. that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm doing kickboxing movies as well. Joseph, like, look at me. <laughs> uh, it's not really that, but uh, hey, that, that's uh, that's quite fun. So it's time to review Kickboxer King, and um, that's probably the second and last time I will pronounce it that way. So uh, as we do this said, we'll try and give the listeners a brief like or dislike initially so they know uh, our opinion before we uh, get uh, in deep even though you, you can go in depth on this movie and we, uh, we certainly will I have way too many notes but uh, in short what did you think of Kickboxer King? You know I quite liked it although I really I did not understand what was going on um i probably could after uh you know a couple more viewings it's the the tie footage i wasn't able to keep track of who was good who was bad who was doing what 
um, it was really only the the kickboxer footage that I was able to understand what was happening. And even that took me a little while because at the beginning of the movie, the character that I thought was the protagonist uh, turned out that he was the villain and were following the other guy. So uh, it's it's a little wonky. The thing that really sells it for me, though, is um, the action. I need someone to sponsor me to help me develop my boxing career. I know a lot of boxers have worked for you before. Why should I help you? Mm -mm. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I can help you, Mr. Costner. Indeed, but I accidentally will get into that. And uh, for my brief opinion, I, I do like it. Uh, I for I, I I don't blame you for not being able to follow the Thai footage, so don't worry about that. Um, it's it's hard though to bring color to your cinema, your specific specific IFD cinema, if you will. After ninjas had worked so well for them, and kickboxes aren't per default colorful cinema. Uh, that's the difficulty Joseph Lai has you know, made for himself. Uh, but the more I also watch this era of IFDs, um, not in the case of this one, but the more movies I watch outside of this one, I also dislike it. Uh, because it seemed that it, there was no true gas left in the tank, you know, and uh, uh, when they went into kickboxing movies, I mean, some movies stand out, yeah, but uh, in the case of this one, though, fair, thanks to a few dumb moments in their own footage, which is glorious, and Panna Ritikrai's incredible jaw-dropping stunt action. Kickboxer King is probably the recommendation of this era for uh, if I were to point people to uh, what kickboxing movies to watch. But uh, there, there are a few more to, to watch, and maybe more than I can imagine. Maybe they made 20 or 30 of these, but uh, they're less uh, out there on disc and uh, on the market uh, compared to the Ninja stuff. So uh, that'll be that. Uh, if you look at the credits... Uh, I touched upon this earlier. There's not as much made-up credits this time because the likes of Kenneth Goodman, Bruce Fontaine, Steve Brettingham are actual people that you can look up that have been in Hong Kong movies. For instance, if viewers saw the Category 3 movie Robot Tricks, Kenneth Goodman, along with Mark King, uh, during the Robo Robot Expo, plays the... Uh, you know, it's a sci-fi movie, so he plays the uh, one of the awesome Western robots that has a, a demo demonstration fight versus. Oh, I didn't King. realize that. Yeah, so so if you go back and watch Ro Robot Tricks, that is Kenneth Goodman. Uh, I really enjoyed that film. Yeah, and he's not he's not covered in like a Robocop like um, a suit or anything. It's uh, it's uh, it's him. It's a humanoid. So uh, as uh, yeah. You, you, you get what I'm saying. Uh, but um, uh, Steve Brettingham, you can see in uh, Jumbo Ping's Red Wolf, he plays the captain of the boat that actress Elaine Loy uh, seduces and uh, kills off. So he's got a he's got a prominent role, and he's a lead in some of these uh, IFD movies as well. Steve Brettingham. So, uh, uh, and even the lead actors are given the job of action directing this time around. So clearly, Joseph Lai and IFD gave these um, guys a lot of creative freedom. Uh, not that their directed uh, action in the IFT footage is any, you know, Jumbo Ping style quality or anything, but uh, it, it, it's interesting that um, they've always given guys breaks, but now they're giving them creative freedom to work behind the scenes as well, which is kind of uh, good on them for, for doing that, uh, because uh, it can only lead to good things if you uh, get some hands-on experience. Otherwise, if, <laughs> how do you think it's directed this, this especially the initial part of the IFD footage? I mean, I, I can I can maybe set you up with one piece of bad direction that I think is there, and it seems like they're kind of making up the direction as they go along. Uh, during Kenneth Goodman and the Costner character's initial sequence, you get POV, point of view direction, during the one-on-one -on -one walk they have together, uh, which is kind of a sign of this movie is 
probably not going to be filled with stylish shots or anything. Or what do you think of the IFD direction? No, I mean the the cinematography is uh, is pretty schlocky. Although I'm going to give them credit in the kickboxing movies because um, they they shoot the kickboxing scenes uh, pretty well. Now, maybe uh, maybe many people will disagree with me. Uh, my familiarity with kickboxing movies is not uh, extensive, um, but I have seen a fair few uh, of the of the more popular ones and uh, uh, some of Roger Corman's knockoffs like uh, Blood Fist and things like that. But I, th- I thought I thought the uh, the kickboxing scenes were lit and shot pretty well. Yeah, they, 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 it's a minimal boxing set, you know, as they said, they probably shot them uh, on their own premises. And uh, they, I'm glad that they never attempted to create the illusion on the soundtrack that this is a filled arena. Oh, see, no, no, I, no I, 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 no, I disagree because that was really frustrating to me that, uh, you know, they lit it in such a way, uh, you know, with, with enough fog and so forth, you really couldn't tell. Uh, what was what was there beyond the the ring, and by having it so silent during the the ring sequences, um, it just felt extra cheap and uh, and kind of lame. And I really wished that they had put in some crowd noise in the soundtrack. Actually, it probably would have worked too. <laughs> I was just uh, kind of uh, yeah, I, I was amused by the fact that this is clearly underground boxing that no one watches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's true, and also, I mean, they kind of set it up as if it's supposed to be just a one-on-one to see who wins, because the the pre- the premise here is that uh, Costner is a businessman, a shady businessman who uh, likes to fund um, boxers, and uh, he's tired of doing that and supporting multiple boxers. So when this youngin comes up to him and says, "I want to, I want to box, and I want you to to sponsor me," he says, "All right, you have to fight my." The other guy, and uh, whichever one of you wins, I'll sponsor. I'll sponsor that one, and so that's where this film is headed. But the the youngin is actually the bad guy, which was kind of which threw me off. But the idea being that the final fight at the end probably wasn't supposed to be a big like stadium kind of affair, but I think that it would have been better if they had just you know put in a bunch of clapping. Yeah, you probably. I wouldn't have complained about it, you know. So uh, there you go. And 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 as a, a dumb side note, Bruce Fontaine looks like me after ten minutes in the sun. This guy has been out in the Hong Kong sun, and he is red. You know, he's bright red. You know, uh, that that sun has gotten to him like like it does whenever I spend time in the sun. So um, you know, uh, <laughs> extra painful. Uh, to uh, if he if he had, if he took some bumps during the movie, then he had to deal with being uh, completely red as well. You know. So that's a good point. Yeah, uh, but anyway, it, 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 it is a redemption story, you know, because Johnny that Bruce Fontaine play, plays, he's uh, taking enhancement drugs, you know, it's, uh, um, and it seems like it's, uh, you know, his part strong, part also weak at least mentally, and uh, he's uh, going to have to beat that. What's the matter with him? Uh, he thinks this stuff's bad for my health. <laughs> it is, but it won't show up on any blood or urine tests. Hmm. And I'm sure some other U.S. movie and Rocky uh, or templates of the time or of the 70s and 80s played their role in the, so to say, uh, scripts or script outlines at IFD. But it's not it's not Rocky Xerox, do you know what I mean? It's it's just um, they're, they're using templates, to be very fair. Or, or did you, as a matter of fact, see that this is beat by beat from some other movie? 
No, I mean, certainly the, the, the montage sequences are very reminiscent of Rocky, but I, I didn't see one of the Rocky plots being, uh, being, uh, you know, ripped off as he tries to kick his steroid habit, or as the movie calls them, steroids. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it, it's fun, though. I mean, uh, we, we, uh, we've uh, inserted quotes from these movies, and uh, certainly will during the editing as well. And there are some golden nuggets here. During the initial training sequence where uh, Johnny is uh, running with his trainer, he's, uh, he's not able to, um, you know, he has to take breaks, you know, and uh, his, uh, his uh, trainer chews him out for taking a break, and I love the little, <laughs> he, he, he sits by uh, some pool of some kind and he says, I'm taking a break, okay? I've been training hard. I'm watching the flamingos. Hey, shit, man. What the fuck are you doing just sitting here? Hey, schmuck, I'm taking a break, okay? I've been training hard. I'm watching the flamingos. Yeah, well, you got more training to do. Don't you know about the fight next week? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, if that's relaxing to you, man, then go for it. But uh, it's bearable, the footage. Uh, um, it's certainly not uh, super terrible. It's the most basic kickboxing training Rocky template uh, made more bearable because of, again, some of the funny dialogue and the Thai movie, you know, if we didn't have the quality in the Thai movie, then this would have been way different than feel, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to point out, though, is that I really, really enjoyed the uh, the soundtrack on this one. Um, it's all very over-the-top, epic, sweeping music that really doesn't fit, but uh, I still really enjoy it in spite of it. I mean, there's some, there's some silly, like, you know... Uh, Sky Chief through the clouds, epic uh, music early on that is like we're okay. They're just they're just kind of walking around, but if you say so. Uh, but it's just fun and kind of swept me up. It it is indeed fun. It's not it's never boring, and um, it's obviously it doesn't take up the majority of the movie. The majority of the movie is uh, Panas uh, footage. So want to talk of. Um, I don't know the transition to the Thai footage, or how, or how do you think um, the Thai footage uh, work in the hands of IFT after it's been remolded by IFT? I, you know, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cookie cutter. Um, once I realized that oh, we're just going to do a drug thing, um, then it, it, it just, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just, uh, oh, okay, they're the other guys. They're doing drug deals and. We kickboxer plot are were mixed up in that as well, and they'll just kind of happen side by side. All right. they're, they're never mixed up in it. The only one that's really mixed up in it is Costner because he has his stable and he also knows a guy who deals in drugs. So yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I just yeah, one one the, the one plot is is mixed up in the other through one guy. Yeah, well, 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 there is one other connection which is. <laughs> Nearly useless, but I, I love that it's there. That uh, Johnny's trainer calls Mr. Y from the other movie to ask him, ask him to get Johnny out of Costner's stable, and uh, he says, "I'll take care of that. Great. We'll visit you sometime to thank you personally. I'll look forward to it." Mr. Y says, "Click." Hello, hello, Mr. Y. I'm Dick Brandon. You remember Sonny's friend? I remember. What do you want? I have a friend called Johnny. He used to be in Costner's stable, but now he wants to get out. We wondered if you might be able to help him. Don't you worry. I'll handle Costner. That's great. Thanks, Mr. Y. We'll visit you sometime to thank you personally. I'll look forward to it. Bye, Mr. Y. They won't. You know, that's the oh, extent yeah. of their, like, uh, they're hanging out together. They won't hang out together. That, that would have happened after the movie, you know. But uh, I do like that uh, Costner calls people on his giant cellular phone. It's, it's about the size of Montana. We've been there. You, you and I are that old that we remember. We remember those uh, cellular phones. At least it uh, didn't have 
uh, you didn't have to carry around uh, an additional unit to charge it all the time. These were, you know, at least standalone phone. It looked uh, standalone phones. Right. It looked like. Uh, so, so, so that's you know, it doesn't attempt to have these uh, extensive phone conversations between the movies, and certainly it doesn't uh, fake uh, being in the same room uh, type of conversations either. So, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I can like when they don't try that hard on occasion to like just let the movie kind of completely play on its own and um uh, because maybe that's effort too to like okay we got to stage uh these uh in the same room conversations do we have a pink wall like i don't think we do boss well screw it then then, then we won't do it you know it's it almost seems like it's um they have to provide effort to match it and sometimes maybe that was too much effort for this particular production so i i always love it when they half-assed the uh the in the same room scenes those are my favorites yeah especially in these old uh, in the old uh, period martial arts movies where, where the source movies were period martial arts movies because then you could have pink backgrounds uh, um you know about the place like these little these tents and what have you i think there's a mm-hmm. Pierre, there's a Pierre kirby movie um zombie versus ninja that, that is like that so Pierre steps uh, steps in uh, in uh, on like a blue a blue background set and what have you and talks uh, with uh, the Korean movie in that case and that, yep. that's that's kind of fun. Um, what else is there? So so the Thai footage, yes, it is standard cookie cutter gangster plotting. You know, uh, uh, the deals gone wrong. You know, and the betrayal and corrupt police officers, I think, and uh, friends on the other side of the law on on different sides of the law and what have you. So I don't ever think Panna attempted to make to be like this huge story-driven director. It was a basic framework to get into the action, you know, and that that's fine. But I I, I agree with you. It's, it becomes nigh on incoherent uh, the longer the Thai footage runs and you're just waiting for some minor clarity, I suppose. Who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? But if you're not waiting for that, then it's okay to wait for this crazy action, you know. Uh, and uh, Panna seems to focus on gunplay a little bit and tries to be a pecking paw uh, because I think this is uh, like prior to John Woo. That's not his forte. Staging of drama is not his forte. Staging of uh, death-defying daredevil action is his forte. I mean, my God, I, I, I'm the kind of guy who can't speak coherently about this stuff, so I'll, I'll, I'll just let you lead. What, what is it about this action footage and choreography that just blows your mind even in 2014? Well, I think it just comes back to what we were talking about before, which is that it's it's that daredevil quality. You wouldn't see anything like this in uh, Western cinema because uh, we're not that cavalier about people's lives. They're you know fighting on top of trucks and uh, some leaping off of enormous uh, heights and, and doing it for real. I mean, there's no there's no trick photography it's not you know jumps down and then cuts to him landing or something it's like no no no. this is all actual real no wires at best they're a bit padded up which doesn't help when you all fall (laughs) off a truck and onto each other and at best maybe the the, my favorite stunt in the movie is one of the initial ones where a guy gets thrown off uh, uh, the moving truck into this uh, wooden sign on the right si- side of the road and just threw that. And maybe that sign is a little bit uh, weak. You know, it's not uh, hard wood or anything. But it's still, he just goes through that like it's a butter. And that still looks painful, you know what I mean? And I'm, 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 I'm not talking about the guy who slams into a Pepsi sign. That doesn't look painful but compared to the stunt I'm, <laughs> I'm comparing to, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you're just holding your breath the entire time because the, what they're doing is crazy. And it's amazing. 
and, and and as you said, it, there's no way to fake that. There, there are some close shots of them on the truck fighting that way you don't see the road, but you still see them moving. You know, it looks like the truck is moving at an enough uh, amount of miles per hour. Where, oh, yeah. it, where it would be shaky to be up there, you know, and move about like they do. There's about half a dozen people up there. That's the thing. There's no one-on-one. It's about six to seven people up there. And I don't know how you choreograph that stuff with, and get through that sequence uh, painlessly. And, and and I guess you don't, because the tail end of the sequence is all of them falling off the truck. And you can't plan that. You go, you fall on top of me on that spot there. No, that truck just... Hit it, hit the brakes, and the guy fell off. Uh, the guys fell off, and all the best to you. Right. I mean, you you look at that scene, and then you know you look at the the heavily CG'd fight between Daniel Bernhardt and uh, Morpheus in at the end of the second Matrix movie, where they're on top of that big rig, and you're just like, oh, this is a bunch of weenies. Yes. <laughs> they're, not, they're not doing it for real. And uh, what I also like about Panas' choreography, it's uh, the mix of uh, it's very much like full, powerful punches and that on its own, the various like back and forth, the hand to hand, that is okay. But why Panas action is great is the fact that he merges it with these hard hits and falls, and also slamming people into you know car doors and into um, you know pottery and what have you. Uh, that mix uh, is why I think this uh, rises above the competition even today. You know that. Uh, these uh, these slow motion highlighted finishing moves often like very hard hits to the head. I mean, you you can use the powder to enhance the power of a kick, but I gotta tell you, it looks like Panna is kicking some of the guys in the head for real because you see the heads jerk like it could be painful, like that that jerking motion that a neck uh, would take. I, I haven't been around film fighting uh, obviously for real, but that looks way too real. But it it's also rewind type of cinema. Because you go back and like, oh my god, I, I did I see that? Oh yes, I did see that. That guy got kicked to the head, and and uh, they didn't receive, you know, a great fee for for doing it either. It's just a uh, few. They're, they're fueled uh, on passion, and you gotta admire that. And I'm glad they all seemingly, you know, came through it uh, with uh, all their um, all their marbles intact. So. Absolutely. Hey, look, you started in without the help of steroids, and you were doing well. Now all you have to do is just train yourself again. That's all. Yeah, you're right. So tell me, are you going to be my coach? Sure, I'll bring you back just the way you were. Okay, I'll try. Pan as a performer, he's the one that stands out a little bit more. He's not the greatest actor or anything, but I think the being a lead, yeah, helps. But he's the one more in, uh, coming at this with the most enthusiasm, I think. And it comes out, he comes off as a standout in this. He's both willing to take the kicks and the falls, but uh, he looks really, really good, as a matter of fact, and he's he's good again at highlighting these uh, finishing moves, these slow motion, like, uh, kicks to the head and what have you, and this uh, now standard uh, sound effect of a soundtrack, you know, ta, 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 ta. It's to be adored over and over again. It's an absolutely amazing showcase uh, that I don't think in the original footage it's a very clear either, uh, the storytelling, but... Uh, in this case, I don't think it matters because you're left with this impression that these guys are insane. You know what I mean? I think I would be entirely forgiving if I saw the original movie subtitle and what have you. Yeah, because the impression they make is um, one of, uh, you know, awe-inspiring uh, kind of uh, feeling about this all, you know? Oh, yes, absolutely. I could not agree more. It's a kind of honesty, like filmmaking honesty. Like, where um, um, my aim is not to be 
dramatic or like um, way you could praise me critically or be comedic where you can praise me critically I've just staged some stuff as glue for the action scenes and that'll be it and uh, I've seen worse in terms of narrative so it's not uh, the worst director on the block in terms of that but uh, it, the, the various drama about the father of Mr. Y uh, Pete no, no Pete is Panna's character and I think Paul is the is the, is the son of the uh, of uh, Mr. Y and uh, you know, he, he hates his father, he wants him to retire, and he says at one point, uh, I don't want to call my dad, he makes me puke. We should call your dad before we make a move. Nah, I don't want to call my dad, he makes me puke. Okay, let's go. <laughs> you know, he really hates his dad, but that doesn't matter at all, uh, you know, especially here in the IFD version, and I don't think originally that would be affecting or anything. It's just basic thread for, for the action, and that's fine, absolutely fine. But 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 it gets us some uh, golden nuggets of dubbing, um, um, you know, I suppose, in, in the Thai footage. Uh, um, any spring to mind? Do you make any notes of uh, dubbing in the Thai footage? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, some very strange uh, vocal choices with the son saying, "I got to talk to you, Pa." <laughs> where where in Thailand or 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 pretend Hong Kong or wherever are you from? Are you from are you from Southern Thailand? Is that what that's all about? Uh, so I suppose that's kind of a tight footage. Uh, back to little IFT. Uh, I was thinking, like out of all things, there's never really pretty scenes in the IFT footage, but they they caught one pretty sight here, literally, and it's the um, scenic view of the first unofficial fight between Bruce Fontaine and Kenneth Goodman at the docks, because they shot that at sunrise, it looks like, and uh, they've never been known to try and catch capture you know grand shots or anything you know what i mean so that was kind of like hey that's a new one <laughs> that's a first yeah it was it was nice and kind of kind of pink and golden uh what do you think of the staple of uh, over-the-top swearing in ift movies uh, uh <laughs> i think it's hilarious <laughs> it is isn't it <laughs> i mean there's tons of examples and uh, um in, in this movie in particular i love it's so out of place to i mean i i'm no prude i don't mind swearing but you you get to a point where hey guys I mean, we're not 12 here. You're not impressing anyone by just going off the rails. And the best quote on this theme is when Goodman beats Fontaine because Fontaine doesn't come back until the end of the movie and conquer. So after he leaves him, leaves him there lying on the dock. Ah, you're lucky I even bothered to fight a stupid piece of shit like you, you understand, you motherfucker. It's like, come on, I really didn't, really didn't, really and when when you when you combine it with the fact that it's it's sort of poorly dubbed, it feels even stranger. Like it really doesn't fit. Yeah, it's uh, because yeah, you're, you're very right. It doesn't um, uh, the dubbing isn't uh, very well synchronized, so it looks like there was one kind of dialogue along the lines of the script they had on the set, and uh, which and this movie was obviously shot obviously shot silent. And when they dubbed it, they just uh, worked in. Some more stuff just because they could, and I, I always found it hilarious too. Because, you know, it's it's like someone trying to be. I mean, this is pre Quentin Tarantino, but it's like someone trying to be Quentin, and like, no, you're not, and you're not cool. But I think just gets it right somehow anyway because we, you know, it tickles us, it makes us laugh, you know. Right. Well, and, and, and I should I should clarify when I say it, it it doesn't fit. It's not so much that it doesn't match the the lips, although in some cases it certainly doesn't. Um, but that it it feels even more out of place because you've got that added separation of a dub voice that isn't 
really coming out of the actor's mouth. Yeah, a lot of these guys. I mean, it, 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 another thing that we'll we'll touch upon, I'm sure, and have maybe already is that select performers dubbed themselves at IFT, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm thinking. Maybe, maybe only two of them, at least that I know. And Stuart Smith and Mike Abbott eventually uh, got to dub themselves. I, I will, I will add in uh, Andy Shrovsky, who only had a, a couple of uh, on-camera roles um, and was primarily a dubber, but uh, um, he did dub himself. Probably some extra cash for you there to, to like um, be there longer, essentially. So uh, I, I, my understanding is that uh, you got paid more as a dubber than as a, a, an actor. Right. Well, good gig for Andy and certainly for Mike Abbott and Stuart Smith eventually. I think you, you, my theory is probably that they, they, they proven themselves like worthy to the company and maybe movies, their lead roles were maybe, maybe some of the more financially lucrative products that IFD pushed on the market. So they could afford uh, to, um, to add to the dubbing roster with uh, the, the actual leads. You know what I mean? So it, it's probably mm. along the lines of that. Uh, but they go on them, and I always miss when they don't dub themselves. So Stuart Smith and Mike Abbott. It sounds because it's not them, and I know what they sound right. like. It, it's not right. It's not right that you know. Can, can you imagine you know Stuart Smith sounds an Australian accent? Oh no, yeah, I've seen it. It's terrible. It is terrible. It, it, it's, it, the Philmark movies, for for instance, uh, that he appeared in as Stuart Steen. Uh, that's not him either. And it's uh, it's not fitting to Stuart's. Uh, you know, an impassioned delivery. I mean, the, the direction, I know we're not talking about kickboxer king, but whatever, the direction Stuart Smith has said he received from Godfrey Ho was something he took to heart. Like, And Godfrey said something along the lines of, I can't see you acting. More acting. Right, yes, exactly. Okay, okay, then. then my mouth will do the acting as, as much as my head, you know, because Stuart Smith's mouth wasn't just talking. It was a performing in itself. So uh, there you go. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't around this time. So there you go. Any any other notes from the IFD footage? I have some minor highlights uh, from the montage, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave the floor open to you if you want to add some notes from uh, from random places in the movie. I don't have an awful lot. Uh, I, like I said, the the music is pretty great. There are moments where uh, they had some sort of stock music that sounded Terminatory. Uh, there was another part where I would have sworn that it's just a ripoff of Planet of the Apes music. Um, I know for a fact that you know they they would steal music from actual Hollywood films. Although Lie and company would claim that it was uh, it was all stock music and you know royalty free and so forth, which is nonsense. But there may have been uh, some uh, stock music libraries that they used, and it wouldn't surprise me if uh, some of the music uh, some of that music was was from them, since it's all. Sound alike ish. I love the part of the montage where, because Ken Goodman engages in various fights and knocks out various performers, and at one point, the judge, the ref, has to pull Ken from the guy he's pummeling, and he lifts him up in the air. And Ken starts kicking his legs. <laughs> he's like, let me at him, let me at him. Uh, I didn't expect the ref to just lift the guy who looks like a fairly big guy to, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, he's no, uh, you know, Bruce Fontaine you could probably lift because he's quite skinny. But uh, Ken Goodman looked like he had some muscle on him. So that's, uh, that's hilarious. And, and also, at one point, Ken kicks another fighter out of the ring. And at that point, he doesn't even have a foul mouth piece of dialogue to uh, use to further humiliate him as he's lying, out, lying there outside in the ring. So he just says, Yeah! Okay. 
I'd forgotten that. That's amazing. I remember. I remember the guy getting kicked out of the ring. That was pretty great. But uh... yeah, those stunts are you shouldn't take for granted. They they are easy uh, for sure. So um, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's the smaller stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Did you guys uh, ever get these uh, like some Nixon scars and even uh, some injury that uh, requires some some hospital treatment during Ninja of a Mission Force, or or, or you went by unscratched? Um, no, we we were pretty safe. Um, I think that there were some minor bangs and bruises, but uh, um, nothing serious. I mean, we tried to keep it. Uh, we tried to keep it safe. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. They ate this montage song, as we said. Uh, uh, the ones they got wasn't really rousing as such, you know. So. Um, it was more like a very mild 80s montage uh, made in the 90s, though. So, um, but, but again, maybe they couldn't steal a rousing 80s montage song or couldn't find anyone in the record collection they had lying around. So you, you never got any, you're the best. <laughs> you know, nothing like yeah, that. Uh-huh. It seemed more generic than, uh, and uh, as upbeat as they could uh, acquire at that point. Uh, but again, right. we, yeah, I don't think they went around town to find music. They probably had a record crate. In the studio, like that, that'll do, that'll do, put it on there, mm-hmm. and let's make three more kickboxer movies th- this afternoon, you know. But but yeah, it, it, it's it's recommended there uh, for the Thai footage alone, but the IT footage is uh, certainly not uh, totally embarrassing, and it's uh, it's it's fun to mix these two together, and uh, it's just all around pretty, yeah, fairly entertaining. Uh, I I rewatched it. Do to work, but also I'd rewatch it just to see the Thai footage. But uh, it's also fun to see IFD at this stage. Um, um, it's uh, as a fan, I think it's uh, quite crucial to familiarize yourself with this and kind of experience a slightly different feeling uh, compared to the Ninja era, which was more more inspired. But this uh, has some points uh, points to make. Uh, it, it makes its uh, points as a kind of fun, hokey, cheesy cinema. It's uh, definitely. Up there, uh, at least this movie. We have a kickboxing movies, uh, not as much. So that's kind of the end of my notes. Do, do you want to do you want to summarize it uh, yourself, Ed, or should we move on? Let's move on. All right, and as for availability, there might be more disc releases, unofficial or not. But what I have, but I don't know if it's official or not, is the DGD DVD, uh, which features the movie. And it, you know, it looks pretty solid. You know, the cover is quite extensive. We've got a lot of the actual IFD credits. So it looks like they had actual advertising materials from IFD working with that. So it, it looks like it's official. Uh, it features the movie in full screen, uh, fairly good quality, and some bonus trailers on the DVD, including for Kickboxer King and some other Asso Asia trailers. The various Dragon Lee movies are on there as well. And they're also a joy to watch. Uh, all trailers are some comfort fodder for me you know what i mean that it's it's really fun and the the, the association ifd trailers were certainly would make you sit up uh, when when you watch them so and it's from this era too where joseph lie and thomas tag presents it's uh, so it's, it's it's an interesting era and uh, further proof that they weren't the same people they weren't the same and neither of them was godfrey ho either hashtag not godfrey ho uh but right kickboxer king go get it if you can find it i found mine on, mine on ebay and i don't think it's uh, going for a huge bucks or anything so uh, go get it and uh, we'll uh, take a short break and after that uh, we'll uh, discuss uh, kickboxer the champion from 1991 and try and struggle through its plot and uh, I, I can tell you this much right now I couldn't write a plot for this one but uh, we'll see what happens after the break and as we finish off this episode with kickboxer the champion good 
welcome back in the final movie of this episode. Up for review is Kickboxer the Champion from 1991 and a plot from IMDB user Mike Gibbons 99 who summed it up better than I ever could. I couldn't, pro- pro- I couldn't come up with anything uh, other than the movie happened. And uh, that's it. Uh, the movie follows some young kickboxers called Richard and Boxer. Richard <laughs> Boxer. You know, why, why not just name him Guy, man, human, boxer? Like, uh, Richard is played by Wayne Archer. Uh, they must battle an evil gangster and his invincible fighting machine henchman who is able to punch the bark off trees with his bare fists. And this, the, uh, this is a bulldog, the African-American. Um, if I, uh, I don't know if he's African-American, but regardless, it, it is Bulldog. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Archer fills the shoes of the title character in Kickbox Kickbox of a Champion, as I said. And the plot further concerns a powerful opium ring whose mastermind surrounds himself with martial arts savvy goons. And Archer takes on the villain's flunkies and forces a one-on-one winner-take-all duel to the death. Thank you, Mike Gibbons, for, for doing that, because I was... Uh, I didn't have anything. But uh, I'll still thought I'll... Uh, read what's on the back of the VHS too because uh, neither of these plot uh, summaries really mentions, they barely touch upon the other two movies in the movie. From the back of the cover, in Shanghai between the wars, one man, Kingsley is determined to corner the opium trade by controlling the shipping routes Boxer, an honest trader is determined to stand in his way Boxer and his friend Richard, both amateur kickboxers, accept Kingsley's invitation to enter a prize fight, not knowing that Kingsley is about to unleash his master kickboxer bulldog in a no-holds-barreled match. Boxer is killed, Richard escapes, and enters the race to bring about Kingsley's downfall, knowing that eventually he must come face to face once again with Bulldog and enter a ring of death. So so it seems like both of these descriptions made the very smart move of... uh describing the plot more or less of the new IFD footage and kind of hand-waving over all of the other stuff. And some other stuff happens as well. (laughs) But again, uh, that tease is, uh, uh, I'll talk of that now, because we like to highlight the source movies if we know the source movies in these various uh, IFD productions. And uh, uh, this is the one where IFD turned to a source movie they made therefore still had, and specifically that's called The Magnificent. It was made in 1979 and produced by Joseph Lai and Thomas Tang when they were Asso Asia, the production company Asso Asia that both made and distributed mainly martial arts movies at this time. And uh, they were behind this tale set, set in 1911, starring Carter Wong, Chan Sing, Doris Long, or Doris Chen, and it was directed by Chan Siu Pang. And to quote my review, because I like this movie a whole lot. Uh, so, from Joseph Lai and Thomas Tang comes a real movie. Yep, no insertions of bad Guido actors or ninjas, but they would do that much later with The Magnificent. In parenthesis, this is way early where the duo stood together and produced movies in the old school vein instead. And The Magnificent is aided by a wise combo to have its... Serious plot basically be the framework for a pretty constant assault of Kung Fu. No extensive talking or filmmaking thinking is better than it is. Because of it, director Chan Siu Pang comes off as an actual genre filmmaker, a good genre filmmaker. Especially so when the basic but 
intriguing ideas of a Qing dynasty princess, who is played by Doris Lung, siding with Carter Wong's Yao, who is not a Qing. Uh, when that's brought forth, uh, it, uh, it's brought forth in, in an efficient manner without uh, the narrative you know, beginning to feel like it's driven into a tub of glue. And there's gorgeous scenery here. It's probably shot in Korea. There's betrayal, power struggles, uh, great training sequences featuring these vital pressure point uh, mastering that they must master before they face off against Chen Sing. And uh, all of that is heading somewhere fast. I mean, it's a great fast-paced movie. And uh, Casanova Wong, Korean kicker, lights up the screen with kicking every single time he's called into action. And the choreography is a little bit uneven in, in, uh, in some cases, but... Uh, the choreography involving Carter Wong and uh, Chen Sing and Doris Lung, it, it all excites to a decent degree. And uh, the, the things with these martial arts movies, well-rounded isn't a very common verdict to slap on an indie martial arts movie, but The Magnificent deserves a pat on the back. And uh, I really, really like it, like revisiting it. And uh, a trivia note, you can see Godfrey Ho in the beginning parts of the movie in a free four scene role as a Qing god. I think he's out of the movie by that, uh, after that point, so... There you go. Did you get a chance to watch The Magnificent before the show went? I did. And uh, you mentioned Korea, and that's uh, almost certainly where it was produced. Uh, when uh, IFD was Aso Asia, um, they they produced original films in Korea because it was cheaper. And uh, the, the snowy landscapes uh, and the sort of more colder, harsher landscapes certainly uh, give off that Korean vibe. And I always like when they did take the movies to Korea. It always provided a, a different locale, literally, but that, that was also refreshing for uh, Hong Kong and Taiwanese martial arts cinema. And uh, But again, this was more of a Korean movie with a mixed uh, cast, of course. Uh, I mean, Dragon Lee appears uh, in one scene, Korean, uh, Korean martial artist that was uh, the star of many Asoasia acquired movies. And even one that I know they made, The Dragon the Hero, I think is one of Godfrey Ho's actual movies made at Asoasia that starred uh, Dragon Lee. And I think uh, people have said some good things about it too. So uh, so yeah, The Magnificent is uh, one of the source movies in Kickbox of a Champion. I didn't notice until I started watching this uh, because I'd never seen Kickbox of a Champion before. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing this uh, beggar-like character with one of his hands wrapped up in present wrapping, it looks like. And what the hell's going on here? Okay, we got a second movie here. Fine. I'll probably never find out what that movie is. But by chance, and this is just a lucky, lucky, lucky break, he's referred to in the movie this character who's going on some kind of revenge killing spree rampage as the left-hand killer. And I thought, like, okay, I'll type in left-hand on Hong Kong Movie Database, and I got fucking lucky. Because it's a movie that's from Taiwan, from 1974, called The Left Hand of Death, which is what um, IFD used to populate Kickbox of a Champion with. A little bit of Magnificent, a little bit of Left Hand of Death, and a little bit of their own stuff. And there you go. It's a Taiwanese Kung Fu movie starring Do Fook Ping, directed by Lin Fu Chi, who also made a movie people might have heard of called 18 Swirling Riders. I don't know about you, Ed. I, I, I might have seen the practice before of IFD using two movies uh, for their B-plot, but I've never been able to uh, you know, know it and confirm it myself. But have you ever uh, encountered it yourself? The only one that I can think of is uh, one of their animated titles called Space Thunder Kids, where uh, Lai had uh, rights to a bunch of Korean anime ripoffs, and he would dub them and release them in English, but then he also made Space Thunder Kids, where he just chopped up all of them and put them all into one film to release 
again. Is it as uh, convincing as it is here in Kickbox of a Champion? Oh my god, it's it's just it's mind numbing uh, <laughs> in its uh, insanity. I mean, you just have absolutely no idea what's ha- what's happening, or at least what they what they claim is happening. Uh, I, th- I think uh, Kickboxer, the champion, does it better because you can kind of follow all the plots, even if you're wondering why there are three separate plots happening. Can you really follow it? Interesting. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's do your brief opinion therefore first, or, or extend your opinion a little bit. What did you think of Kickboxer, the champion? Um, I, you know, it's it was all right. I mean, I really, I I, I wouldn't want to watch it again. Um, I mean, the the fact that it's three separate plots is sort of obnoxious and (laughs) and none of them are particularly interesting actually no i I take that back i i was i was interested enough in the kickboxer plot that i I wish that they would hurry up and get back to it um the rest of it i could take or leave and after watching the magnificent in its entirety my opinion stands i mean i guess i can kind of see why they uh needed another film because there's a lot of there's a lot of training and stuff happening in the magnificent that probably wouldn't translate well into your kickboxer movie and so when you chop it down to a handful of uh necessary plot scenes and a couple of action scenes uh, it's just not enough material yeah maybe it was literally a a, a desperate move maybe you know to, to fill it uh, but presumably they had to acquire the 1974 movie and the magnificent still resided with them which uh, should have saved a little bit of uh, money i suppose um, in the long run uh Talking about it, for me, and the background of it, that's kind of where the fun ends. Uh, the sole joy of uh, doing this movie for the show for me was that I got to revisit The Magnificent. Uh, I always knew I liked it, but I was glad to revisit it. It, it still holds up. And then when Merch revived the and their footage, it's lost in this confused state that Kickbox of the Champion provides. I mean, abso- absolutely clueless as to what was going on here. And kind of IFD at the worst. But... I'll tell you this, plus points for Wayne Archer as an action action performer and the IFD action in itself. Yeah, I, I, that I really dug. And this falls this falls very nicely into your uh, your favorite category of uh, movies that merge modern day stuff with period stuff and don't really care. Oh my God, what were they thinking? I mean, can you even rationalize that fact that they're okay? I think they are trying to make period relevant footage themselves but at one point the guys that turned up in the costumes and the haircuts they weren't relevant to the period and they weren't gonna do they weren't gonna do uh, a makeover on them they just shot them anyway i mean can you even rationalize this no i I mean the thing is that they're they're uh the baddies in the kickboxer footage they they go around in you know modern 80s suits or i guess early 90s suits and uh have lines like Hey man, how you doing? <laughs> and they talked about the movie too. Two of the characters in the uh, movie that set at least at ninety or hundred years earlier. Hey man, how you doing? Fine, just fine, Mr. Cooper. Good. Know why we're here? Oh yes, because uh, I believe, um, and, and I think you were the one who told me this. The uh, Ninja the Magnificent is set in nineteen eleven, and um, Left Hand of Death, I, I imagine, couldn't really be a whole lot later than like nineteen twenty. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm sort of guessing. You know, one of the one of the key elements is a um, a photograph that's an old black and white photograph that I'm um, was taken about. I don't know, like 10 years or so before the the events of the film. And you're like, well, it's probably what, like maybe 1900, 1910, if we're being generous. But, okay, I'll, I'll, I will get back to the 
the to the plot as it is. But uh, I just wanted to mention I'm surprised that I skipped um, including Dragon Lee's fight scene from the Magnificent because they would have like uh, a draw like in the credits like starring Dragon Lee or like uh, third on the poster Dragon Lee. Um, but they, they did cut them out there. They credit a Bruce lie, but not the mm-hmm. Bruce clone. It's just a, a lie that they made up or a lie from the other movie that they just added Bruce to. But Bruce lie, uh, uh, the one, the, the good Bruce clone, my favorite Bruce clone that could make movies that weren't Bruce quotation movies. He's not in this movie. I was wondering about that. So I think it's just a case of uh, that, that uh, uh, colliding, so to say. You got the job. Good. What do we have to do? You'll start at five in the morning. You'll do the deliveries and handle the incoming goods and the paperwork, if you're smart enough. Also, you'll be my boxing partner. Ridley Choi, a filmmaker and actor and action choreographer, future filmmaker and action director, worked on this movie. And uh, let's briefly talk of the fight footage. I think this is one of my favorite movies from my day in terms of seeing uh, fights that are not by people in ninja outfits. You know, uh, we finally... Normally, when we saw people fighting these movies, it was not as good, you know, because they weren't fighters. They just kind of tried to brawl and that was it. And they tried to make it more genuine and not work with doubles. But here, Wayne Archer is uh, quite an able performer and Ridley Choi clearly had it in him to direct action. And I, I really dig the fight action. It, uh, it's really fast and uh, corresponds fairly well to what you see in other Hong Kong action movies uh, at this time. So I really dug it. Uh, any thoughts on that, Ted? Yeah. I agree. Whatever you may say about the sort of mundane quality of having regular old fights and not uh, white guys in candy-colored ninja suits, um, it it does it. You buy it a whole lot more. I mean, the ninja stuff is great because it's just so preposterous. But if you're trying to follow a story, you know, it doesn't really matter that it was made on the budget of three bucks with these uh, kickboxing movies because. They look like kickboxing movies. They just, you know, are kind of cheap. And so you you believe the action because they're actually doing it. It's shot pretty well. Um, the stories are pretty standard revenge things. And so it's like, okay, I have to take revenge by fighting these people. Great. Like, you buy it, and the, the fights have some structure to them. And I, I find I found that rather refreshing, if not even if it wasn't uh, as spectacular as the ninja era. Uh, that, that I agree with, but but also it's refreshing to see them uh, giving themselves time or being allowed to spend some time on shooting some solid action and uh, therefore giving a young Ridley Choi his um, a little bit of break and uh, to see what he can do. And, and uh, Wayne Archer has been um, in uh, a few Hong Kong movies and certainly either knew beforehand or had it in him, uh, the timing that, that is required when you fight in these movies, but it's also something he could have picked up and uh, I think he translates his experience very well to this. Uh, to the IFD footage, their action footage, which I uh, I really dig, and uh, uh, l- l- looking forward to see some more of his work at IFD because he was around at this time. Uh, he's I think he's possibly in Kickboxer King as well in the background, but uh, uh, he's uh, not uh, in a fight role in that one. Uh, but he has a great entrance here, and it shows that IFT sometimes are a bit, I don't know what they're doing sometimes, because his entrance, you see him from the feet down, and the camera pans up towards him, and it's set to this oddly dramatic music that almost signifies that he's a bad guy, oh my god, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be scared of him. And I think all while the dialogue goes on about him looking for a job, you know, Richard wants a job with Boxer, that music keeps on and on and on, and like, uh, stop it. I mean, it's not supposed to be tense, this. It's a dialogue scene. Yep, and then and then they have a little uh, friendly 
kickboxing fight and uh, the psycho music busts in, <laughs> which which then which then uh, appears later as well. Yeah, I think it fits later a little bit more than here. I, I, I don't know if the psycho music can be put on any action scene really, but there it is in uh, Bernard Herrmann's uh, classic score. Uh, because I wondered, like, it sounds so much like it maybe it's them taking it for somewhere else or doing nope. it themselves, but no, it is that one, so... <laughs> I mean, he can't claim that that's public domain, if I ever say that. That must be. Oh, you, no. You've you no. got to pay for that stuff. But uh, no, he did it. And it's in it's in this VHS version that we watched. So it's not like they had to take it out or anything. The uh, the transition between uh, that scene and then the um, uh, the first of the B-plots. you got to explain to me. you got to explain to me what the hell is the Chokmin character's motivation. Why he, is he so menacing and threatening? And I, I, I couldn't connect to this plot at all, the first of the B-movies. Could you summarize it in any way that makes me understand it? <laughs> so is this this is... Uh, I'm trying to remember which of them actually comes first. Uh, it, it, it is the left hand of death footage. It comes first, I believe. Uh, it doesn't. I, as far as I can tell, oh. <laughs> that one does not connect no well actually no 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 that one does in, he's walking in the desert and this and, and it's this narration that's very shrill yeah. so you can't hear it for shit yeah, like, okay yep yep I'm, I'm remembering it now okay so yeah he comes in and he's like i just i was sent i'm a killer i was sent to kill these people uh but you know they were pretty nice so i didn't kill them uh, <laughs> and they told me that the, the person that sent me to kill them was really the evil guy so i'm gonna go kill him that does not connect but uh the idea is that a character that he meets later on uh, has a bunch of uh, prostitutes, and um, the Kingsley Company, uh, the who are in charge of the uh, villainry in the kickboxing plot, uh, is running brothels or something, and so they, he, they they come in later and demand ladies. Kingsley would never see you, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, unless uh, the bearded guy is Kingsley, but they don't really refer to him as that, so I have no idea. Uh, so yeah, so that that's how it connects, and it connects about uh, two thirds of the way into the film. Maybe, maybe a little little earlier. I think maybe they they talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And even that basic like explanation that you just provided, I couldn't pick up on that either because I couldn't get why you know Chuk Ming or Chuk Ming was like, I'm searching for my sister. I gotta find her. I'm a killer, but I have a sound conscience. And he's like, come on, man. Like, That's one of my favorite lines because it's just like, yeah, just please spoon feed it to me where he says, uh, I'm a killer. And yet I still have a solemn conscience within. Conscience within. Uh. Like, uh-huh. Okay. And, and then he starts going into brothels, ripping the sleeves of uh, the women's clothes off to find the birthmark. And, and then he pays for everything that is ripped. And I'm thinking like, this guy got to be loaded, man. But. Also, just roll up their sleeves. Good lord. So yeah, because that, that, that's the idea is, is that he he goes and he goes back and he kills that guy who was actually kind of a cruddy guy, uh, um, and but then they discover. But he's just like, oh well, he had a daughter who's kind of innocent and who was sent off when she was a child. So I'm gonna find her and I don't know somehow right this wrong or I don't know give her some money. I have absolutely no idea, but I'm gonna go do it anyway. And uh, all he knows is that uh, she used to look like this when she was a little a little girl with a photograph. And uh, she has a birthmark on her arm. I said I'd pay for the torn clothes, didn't I? Why did you send those fools to fight with me? They're not good enough. There's not one real man among them. <laughs> he's, he's so like 
irrational. Just go and might as well just kill them and then check for it afterwards if he's going to be that shrill in his ways, you know. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> and and he, and he does it all over again. It's quite an expensive hunt if you think about it. But yes, he is paid every now and again for being a killer. But sometimes he doesn't do it. Then he does it. Maybe he doesn't. He, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I mean, it's just like, come on, settle for something now and uh, so I can get it. And for some reason, his has he locked his own hand in that present bag? Yeah, yeah. So he he has his left arm, which is because he's he's a southpaw. He uh, wraps his arm in uh, cloth and then wraps the cloth in a chain, which then goes around his neck, which is then locked uh, with a lock. And he keeps on him a key. And anyone who was able to take the key from him uh, may uh, hire him to assassinate someone it's convoluted already i mean maybe the original movie plays out a little bit more coherently because as as evident the magnificent all of a sudden turned really really crap when re-edited you know it's it's not as good the quality doesn't shine through as much anymore so maybe the left hand of death is more coherent in its original form and that may feel more like an original concept of the killer you know locking away his great power, fine. But uh, here's like I, I, I can't connect to anything here. But oh, I was just gonna say, I, I actually that one I, I didn't have as as much problem following for some reason. I thought that it worked just fine as you know in its 20 minutes form. Uh, the magnificent I had a little bit more difficulty following until we got closer to the end and I started piecing the pieces together. And then of course watching the magnificent afterward. Yeah. Um, oh, did see. you watch it afterwards? Not yeah, I, I want. I wanted to wait and and see and see what I thought when I saw the entire thing. <laughs> What 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 an illumination in in your life all of a sudden! Whoa, there's a movie. Yeah, exactly. Movie. Like, oh, well, this all makes a whole lot more sense now. Uh, one of my favorite lines within the left hand of death footage is so bizarre. I mean, but but thank, thankfully it's there. Uh, he speaks to uh, Chuck Ming's character to uh, the Mama San or one of the prostitutes in one place. Where he shows her the photograph and he's telling her presumably that she's um, a young adult, you know, 18 or so. And the weirdest exchange happens round about here. She's got a cute face and she doesn't look like an 18 year old girl. She just looks like a kid to me. Yeah, she was just a kid when she sat for this photograph. But now she's a grown lady. What, what are you talking about, characters? Now, of course she's a kid in the photograph. She's not 18 year old and looks like 10. You know, I mean, for heaven's sake. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 not picky about my scripting and continuity, but that that was one of the most bizarre exchanges between characters that couldn't be have been from the from the original movie. It must have been IFD just being sloppy in the process of. I don't know. I I, I believe it. I believe that that was original dialogue more or less. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's not available to us the original, so we'll just have to. Um, uh, at least I didn't check for it, but we didn't see it. Uh, but the thing is, you understand these sequences a little bit better than I, than I do, and that's fantastic. But as the longer the movie runs and how it incorporates the Magnificent, to me, because I was just so frustrated with pretty much everything, it just feels randomly glued together. Like left Hand of Death, uh, some Wayne Archer, some Magnificent. Oh, this, now we got five minutes covered. Great, let's move on. It seems so randomly glued together and little makes sense as the Magnificent enters and uh, but the solid action from the Magnificent that remains I mean I, I love the uh, the fast hand-to-hand combat that excellent fight in um, in that the downstairs room of the boat or whatever you call that when uh, Carter Wong uh, fights off 
Doris Long's uh, protectors. Uh, oh, and, yeah. Uh, that's a really, really good fight scene. There's a lot of elements, including fire. So it, that comes through, you know, the great original action content that was there. But uh, it's still what the Magnificent has to do with the left hand of death, what it has to do with uh, the A plot, the Wayne Archer plot. It's so... The longer the movie runs, it just feels like someone did a random cut together of three movies. And well, and it does it does seem a little bit like the uh, there's some footage missing from the IFD plot as well, and I, I don't expect that that's the case. But um, uh, because it's so haphazard, suddenly uh, the the sister of the character who died of a boxer in the IFD footage appears in the middle of the movie. And then it's uh, as if the main character and her knew each other and had talked before, but we never saw it. And then she never appears again. And at some point during that after, and this is, you know, of course, after boxer dies, uh, um, he says to the sister, uh, boxer wanted us to take over his business for him. Did he, when did he say that? And, and apparently their connection was so strong that when she says, I really loved him. Wayne Osher says, I loved him too. too. Yeah, like, wow. <laughs> so the, there's, there was this whole, you know, I, I, there's this whole other movie in there somewhere that, you know, never actually got shot. You don't know how much I loved him. I loved him too. He was a great guy who never gave up. Uh, and I believe it because I kind of get the sort of movie that they thought that they were making. Uh, where a guy comes for a job and he's like, no, we're not going to, we don't have any jobs open. He's like, I'll do whatever. And he's like, all right, well, if you're willing to do all this, then uh, you can come and work for me. And you're also going to be my boxing partner. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And like, like a friendship is forged in that other movie that we never see. Yeah, exactly. It's very brief. I mean, she's barely in it. I don't know if she ever, ever was credited. <laughs> either. I have no idea. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, certainly, one, one thing I should mention is at the, at the beginning of the movie, you know, this is this is uh, Kickboxer the Champion, and the first thing that we see is uh, we're at this warehouse, and a bunch of uh, Chinese coolies are uh, walking around with packages, stacking them up one on top of another. And I was like, wait a minute, when they said when he said this is a boxing movie, I didn't expect that he meant it was about boxes. Yeah, <laughs> well, that, that represents possible like effort possible and when i and that leads again into, into a little bit of tangent that they mix modern and period in this movie and don't care about it i thought when hearing of this movie previewing that indeed the ifd used modern footage and contrasted it with the magnificent i only knew that that was the source movie without making a fuss about it and uh, and I thought, like, they can't be that stupid. And for a while, it looks like, okay, there, that, that opening footage could be 1911, whatever. And uh, and before Boxer is killed, his uh, office looks appropriately set design, the production designed. He's using an abacus, not a computer. Exactly. Um, but then those guys enter in, uh, in their modern suits and their modern haircuts. And after that, they make no real effort to convince us. It's just, uh, especially when... Those two guys, or two, some other guys, one of look, one of who looks like uh, Harry Dean Stanton. When they talk to the left hand of death, the contrasts uh, are absolutely laughable, and that makes that scene when they talk to you, when the movies talk with each other legendary. But it's lazy and absolutely off the wall bonkers and uh, fun, but not enough to make it is less of a frustrating experience for me oh, oh yes i mean one of my notes was hilarious crossover scene and crossover <laughs> scene is my shorthand for you know the the scene where the the one plot 
directly interacts with the other plot that can be via phone or in the same room. Yeah. But, uh, we, we had to kind of come up with a shorthand for all of this stuff when we were spoofing it in uh, Ninja the Mission Force. And so A plot res- corresponds to new scenes. B, B plot refers to uh, source movie, even if, you know, the source movie's plot is the dominant plot. That, 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 that is obviously something you embraced wholeheartedly, like, yeah. No effort was really made in some episodes to uh, to be the same uh, periods. Obviously, uh, one oh, no. uh, one movie is a Richard Harrison Gladiator movie, and that's not and Bruce and uh, and uh, all, all the characters are not all of a sudden in ancient Rome or anything. It's uh, they're, they're in modern times. Right. Absolutely. No. It was it was sort of like we we wanted to make it look like it was half-assed. It's better in Ninja Than Mission Force. I tell you that. It's much more funnier than in Kickboxer <laughs> Champion. <laughs> well, we were playing it for laughs, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, all right. So here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go off a tangent since we're talking about Ninja the Mission Force, but it is it is relevant to this this movie. I'm watching The Magnificent, and this is in a scene that is not in um, the other film, the uh, Kickboxer film. At one point, one of the main characters is tricked by a bunch of women who are carrying baskets of bread or something like yes. that, and uh, they're actually evil, and they start attacking, and he beats them, and then. Uh, they commit two of the girls commit suicide by impaling themselves with loaves of bread now this is this is not just outrageous this is this drives me crazy because we did that as a joke <laughs> in ninja the mission force and i had never seen this film it was we had the cheese ninja and he impaled himself with a with a baguette and I thought, you know, this is the most absurd thing we can possibly think of. Um, you know, Megan wrote this, and I'm like, oh, this, is, this, is, this is amazing. Well, no, apparently it was done like 30 years ago. I apologize. <laughs> I, I, I think what, that, that was uh, – we're saying that was an original scene in The Magnificent. Or was that the left hand of death? I know the scene, but for some reason I can't differentiate if that was. I've got it as a note from when I was watching The Magnificent. For some reason I didn't uh, single out that moment when I was watching it as – Huh. That was rather stupid in a very serious it's, movie, but okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's completely preposterous. Um, uh, another thing, since we're speaking of um, movies that uh, steal music from Hollywood films, I was uh, noticing some very familiar tension music in The Magnificent. And I'm like, what? I just made a, made a note, like, uh, this is famous tension music. I don't know what it's from. And then it hit me. It's from Murder on the Orient Express. What an unusual choice, although I've actually heard that same music used before. So somewhere along the line, it got picked up as, like, the tension music to rip off. Wow. Right. And, um, oh, oh, by the way, I, re- I really forgot to mention the way you can see Wayne Archer in other movies. Uh, uh, Dragon Family, uh, Laga Wings, uh, Dragon Family, Tiger on Beat, which I bet uh, Conan Lee action movie. So he's in, he, he was in and around Hong Kong in the late 80s. So you can check out Wayne Archer uh, probably being, getting kicked around because that was the job of a while, of a, of a Westerner to be uh, kicked around by the leading men and ladies in these movies, but they got paid. They, they got paid sufficiently, but uh, they weren't necessarily well-treated uh, on uh, the, the Hong Kong movie sets. Probably much more well-treated uh, when working at IFT, because they were working with, uh, you know, with, uh, with Westerners. And when I'm saying that, there were, there were elements of racism when they were on uh, Hong Kong movie sets, you know, because they weren't really... Guai Lo is not, not an affectionate term. Let, let's just say that it can be translated as a white ghost or white devil. No, no, no! All right, where the fuck is Bulldog? Cool it, man. If you want Bulldog, he'll be fighting on Friday night. If you dare come, you can avenge your friend. I'll be there. 
so continually. I mean, he, he has two, two or three fightings when not and he really looks impressive in them. And I, I, I got a rare feeling of uh, when watching an IFD of um, them making a Hong Kong action that could stand uh, beside uh, Hong Kong action scenes in other movies. It's not as long, of course, but uh, I'm really, really impressed. I didn't expect it out of uh, IFD to be this good, especially when, uh, when when we're dealing with people that are not masked. So, so, so good on them. That was really cool. Maybe we're deconstructing it too much, but did, did you ever understand why the character of Chuck Ming from Left Hand of Death is looking like he's poisoned or dying in the final scene and he takes some pill and for some reason he becomes a little bit more powerful uh, and can finish the final fight? Or, or what do you think? <laughs> no, I remember what you're talking about and, and I was trying to figure that out and it lost me. Yeah. But they, okay, it was rather cool. I mean, when he takes off his uh, hand at one point, they demonstrate that internal chi, you know, when when uh, they, they don't do painted on effects or anything, but they, they do some kind of effect where they where they affect the environment through their internal chi, which is uh, which is also a pretty cool element. And uh, and yeah, really final note, uh, it's a shame that the magnificent is so cut up. Uh, I, I realize you can't feature it uh, heavily, but that the final fight of the magnificent is so cut up, and that hints at the characters having trained to find the weak point of Chen Xing's character uh, in various training sequences uh, uh, earlier in the movie. That's kind of lost in the IP footage, and when they do talk of, oh, that's his weak point, it doesn't really matter at that point that that's an element it was such a cool element to have in the original movie and here it's this uh, element that's just there and flies by you know in one ear and out the other you know and um i'm talking about it like it's a shame and it's unfair to be magnificent and, but thankfully it exists complete elsewhere but it's interesting to see how such tightening and such re-editing and such chopping up of elements can make a movie lose its uh, impact quite uh, heavily which is why i recommend it uh, us both uh, watching uh, the magnificent uh, prior to after watching Kickbox of a Champion and, um, and so so th- th- that's an interesting examination in itself. That's uh, that's uh, the end of my notes. I didn't like the film, but I like talking about it and some elements here and there, some dubbing here and there, and some action scenes from IFD and uh, IFD versus the original movie. Talking to the other movie, the crossover, fun, but uh, it is what makes this kickboxing era frustrating and on the verge of really really uneven and unlikable that they they, they kind of lost their touch but hey we, we we got some more movies to to cover either on the show or in our viewing regular viewing habits so maybe there are some more uh, gems out there as i said kickboxer from hell kind of dumb and fun because it's a it's a taking out satan plot you know, and they, uh, Wayne Archer is in that. I think Wayne Archer possibly is Satan in that one. But he, he's or he's um, a Satan's uh, disciple, which looks like I don't know if you've seen Kickboxer from Hell, Ed, but they, the disciples are dressed like they're playing um, cowboys and Indians, and they're Indians. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! No, I haven't seen it, so I, I look forward to that. It's like, uh, yeah, well picked, Satan. Like you don't have a fashion sense. <laughs> uh, so uh, and oh, finally. At least there's a crowd this time during the boxing. Yep, I noticed that, yeah. A little crowd, but uh, they, they at least had uh, a few extras to put in there. So it's not the same. It doesn't look like the same exact ring set, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is uh, crowded this time around. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if they just redressed it or something. I was, I was trying to think about that. Uh, but otherwise, the end of my notes, uh, do you want to share anything else? The only thing I'll mention is that at the end of the film, in the final uh, kickboxing match, the announcer comes out and says, this is, this is a full contact match to the death. I thought, to the death? Is that 
That's not standard in kickboxing anywhere. <laughs> Come on. That's you don't you don't just throw that out casually. Good heavens. And they claim it's a tournament too, but there's only one match on the bill anyway. Right, yeah. It seems like anyway. So uh the guy who playing Bulldog, he, he keeps up with Wayne Archer, so they have a f- fairly memorable end fight. So, so uh, the the action elements are pretty good and when when you cut that together for a trailer, I think you would be able to sell Kickbox of a champion fairly well if you present oh, yeah. it on the marketplace and what have you. Uh, but again, I, I haven't found one and I'm uh, I'm kind of sad about that because uh, it, sometimes you find these ID trailers but they are condensed and uh, like one one minute, one and a half minute trailers that are uh, cut down versions from the full maybe two, three minute trailers and that uh, is also a bad thing, <laughs> you know, because mm. uh, the ID trailer man voice deserves it. The full, the full spectrum, the full space that he takes up. So, so good. Uh, okay. As for availability, a little bit more troublesome for this one. Again, since I haven't looked into this, it may unofficially or maybe even officially be on disc, but I couldn't find anything. Uh, maybe it's in some set, you know, 10 movie sets, 20 movie sets and what have you. Uh, but what I, the only thing I could find and what I bought was the slightly cut UK VHS released, um, Sometimes in the night, it's uh, three seconds according to the BBFC, so uh, it's not the butchered uh, version or anything, and I don't know where the cut is. Uh, but I had that transfer to DVD, a friend of mine did that, and uh, so that's what we uh, watched. And it's uh, full screen, as, as expected, and it uh, looks uh, clear for and for, for the purposes uh, of, of this show. I mean, a, a sufficient-looking uh, version and all of that. And to boot, just as a very dumb bonus piece of trivia, the tape opens with um, a trailer for... Inspector Wear Skirts, um, uh, aka Top Squad, the English language trailer for Inspector Wear Skirts, which um, was fun to see. I've never seen that. Uh, uh, so uh, that was good. That was good fun. Uh, but anyway, next time, it's time to familiarize ourselves with US Catman. What is that? Well, it is IFD's own superhero. <laughs> Jonathan Isgar asks US Catman, not Catman, but US Catman. And in two movies, they made uh, the lead, Jonathan Iskar, take on the mantle of uh, this character, mixed with, in my estimation, tie actioners of some kind, some standard tie actioners. Uh, So uh, for episode four, we are looking at the two movies that are called the following, U.S. Catman, Lethal Track, and U.S. Catman 2, Boxer Blow, or Boxer's Blow. I may sound excited, I am, to talk about it, but uh, don't expect the greatest gems or anything, but they are absolutely essential to watch because IFT not only put a superhero in their movie, they made a, an origin story in the first movie. They literally went back like to the well story-wise and made uh, Jonathan Iskar. Well, I mean, Catman. I mean that's fair. You know, I mean, I grew up knowing the the backstory of Batman and of Superman and so forth, but I couldn't quite remember the uh, the backstory of U.S. Catman. So it's good <laughs> that they put the origin story for the film. Thankfully, they did. I think he possibly was bitten by a radioactive something bat or cat i don't know maybe. a, a I don't u.s know, cat i don't know even i don't know, know even know if it was a cat uh, but it was a uh, their footage was good fun because uh i can't believe they tried this but you, you gotta admire them as businessmen at least they tried it you know at least they tried with the superhero angle clearly didn't work and they as far as i know never never appeared again so uh, uh, and uh, and yeah, it's it's kind of glorious. Uh, so that's episode four. So uh, we're we're going through the initial, uh, or rather the, the different bonus stages at IFT from ninjas to kickboxers and now superheroes. So I think it's fair. The, the only thing I've, I've, I haven't mapped out, but maybe I should in a further episode, is their uh, animate uh, animated stint, if you will. But I don't know if that's uh, there's really much to say other than 
what you have already said, said on the show, you know, that they bought a lot of movies. They, they, they put them in a blender and space found the kids. And they're, they're pretty bonkers, all of them. Yeah. Uh, are they fun or boring to watch? Oh, fun, fun, yes. Absolutely fun. Made, uh, made for great poster art, definitely. Yes. Really, really good. Uh, but okay, that, uh, it's not animation next time, but U.S. Catman next time, so I'll stick around for that. But uh, in the meantime, this has been the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network, podcastonfire.com for the show and all the bonus episodes. Email podcastonfire at googlemail.com, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash PUF Network, like our page, join the discussion group, follow the link on that page, or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. Uh, Twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire, our tweets, so follow along. Uh, my writing, mostly ninjas and uh, various IT movies and film arc, so goodreviews.com, and little spoken word video reviews at sleazykvideo.com. My tweets, Twitter.com forward slash so goodreviews, and the Golden Ninja Podcast. It's on iTunes, and if you like the show, please rate and subscribe, and uh, even leave a small written comment. One or two sentences will do as a review of the show. That would very much be appreciated, and uh, it'll help the show, help promote the show. And they finally stream us on Stitcher Radio. They have uh, that on their site, stitcher.com. You can uh, stream uh, that way, but the smoothest way to do so is through their application available to your iPhone, iPad, or Android. And once you're in Stitcher, type in the Golden Ninja Podcast, find us, add us to your favorites, and I think you can even comment uh, on Stitcher, so please do. And uh, finally, your plugs again, Ed? Absolutely. You can uh, find me, my films, including Press Start and web series, including Ninja the Mission Force, at neonharbor.com. And I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor and on Twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor. Right on. So that's us done for the kickboxing era for now. It's not my favorite era. I like the ninja era better, so therefore remember... I am the champion of the ninjas.